Hello and welcome to Make Language Great Again. Today it is my great joy to welcome Riley Wegerman, who is in my home country, in my original home country, and it is so exciting. Uh, his writing about COVID Russia is outstanding, and I, I can't wait to talk about it. Thank you so much for having me on, Tessa. Oh, absolutely. And uh, what got you into this mess? You mean what, what got me to Russia? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Although, I mean, like, you could start with that. <laughs> no. I mean, first of all, I don't think Russia is the best. It's a great country. Just uh, <laughs> just, just teasing here. No, Um. you know, well, uh, if you want to start with that, I just came here. I was, I'd worked as a, um, I guess you could say a journalist in Washington, D.C., and I got burnt out. And I ended up moving to Central Europe, to the Czech Republic, to hang out with some Czech friends and teach English. And I just decided to keep going east. So I ended up with a job teaching in Bashkortostan, of all places. Oh, wow. And, and then about a year after that, I got an invitation to come to Moscow and, and write. So I did, and I've never left. So... Well, I was going to make a joke. Don't end up in Siberia with moving east. <laughs> I almost did. I was in Bashkortostan. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but honestly, your writing is so stunning. I am so happy. I was so happy to discover it because, you know, I was following the cyber polygon and yeah. I was... Uh, you know, two years ago and then last year, and my original homeland was all over the place. It was yeah. very prominently represented, as I'm sure you're well aware. And then from here, people say, oh, my God, like, you know, Russia is against the COVID scam and Russia is in this beacon of freedom. And I was like, wait a second. It doesn't quite correlate because you can't be a beacon of freedom and be working hand in hand with Klaus Schwab. So when I discovered your blog, I was like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so exciting. <clears throat> so you've been in Russia and then you started writing about COVID. How did that happen? Well, I, um, so when I first came to Moscow, I was working for this website called Russia Insider. And then I got a job working for Press TV, which is the Iranian it's sort of like Iranian state television, you know, in, in English. And so I was their uh, Moscow correspondent. And then after that, I got a job with RT. So I was working for RT for about four years. And I just, for many reasons, I just really, really got fed up with RT. And it's, I thought, totally unacceptable policies concerning how it covers important topics, in my opinion, uh, you know, about what was happening in Russia at the time. So I quit. And about a month later, I decided to start just writing about what I thought needed to be written about. So Wonderful. Well, I used to follow, like, RT was very decent when it was writing about America, well, for obvious reasons. Everybody right. likes to be a good analyst when it comes to the proverbial enemy. And then I didn't bother to read it about anything about Russia because what's the point? So exactly, exactly, exactly. And you know that I think that's a totally. I think there's wonderful, insightful analysis about the United States on RT. But uh, you know, for me, it was like I wanted to write about what was happening in Russia. You know, like this was this was what was most important to me, and what I thought needed to be reported on. 
and they wouldn't they didn't want to do it and they had what bothered me what bothered me the most actually was that they just had two totally obvious different standards here right like they would let you call you know france totalitarian for having qr codes but you can't say anything about what has been going on in russia and for me that double standard was just too much because this this issue for me was a red line it was like once this was crossed i'm just not playing these games anymore you know i'm not i'm not going to try to justify you know my sort of you know i guess we're all hypocrites right but this was just like i can't do this anymore i quit so no, I, I hear you. And I actually, I saw that there was a change at some point. They were scolding. And then when Russia became really Nazi about it, that was the time when you can no longer talk about it. Yep. yep. So that was a very, very drastic change. Very palpable. Yeah. So totally. good for you taking a stand. Uh, <laughs> so just a simple question. What is going on right now with Russia and COVID? That's a really good question. <laughs> Uh, it's actually you it, we're speaking at a really interesting time because we're actually seeing possibly an interesting sort of dynamic being played out between the federal government and regions so starting right after the state duma elections at the end of september russia saw this massive nationwide rollout of qr code policies and compulsory uh, vaccination decrees some of these have since some of these rules have since been rolled back in other parts of the country like in tatarstan and saint petersburg other areas they've actually doubled down and made uh these rules even more strict but uh in the last week or two around 14 regions across russia have started uh either like canceling or significantly reducing the their use of qr codes and in St. Petersburg, even, there are reports that the city is basically going to abandon the QR code rule, which would be a huge, huge uh, victory, I would say, for the Russian people if that happened. Uh, so the question is, why is this happening now and who is who is behind it? Right. And one would hope that it would be, you know, the Kremlin saying, look, guys, enough is enough. We should drop this stuff. The problem with that theory, which it might be true, I don't know, is that uh, Putin publicly supported the introduction of a national QR code law, right? So it's a little bit confusing because in Russia, these rules are imposed at a regional level, but the state Duma wanted to make sort of a uniform blanket legislation so that everybody had the same QR code rules, you know, uniform uh enforcement etc cetera, etc cetera. and this legislation was so unpopular among average russians that the state duma had to drop it but it's so that which makes it so weird that putin publicly stated that he felt it was his duty he said that he had a moral obligation as president to support this legislation which is a very very weird thing to say and when did he say that he said this in um late like december i want to say december 17th and then this legislation kept kept getting pushed back until basically February, and then they decided to just abandon it. So, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry for interrupting. Did they abandon yeah. it quietly, or did they abandon it with a splash? Oh, hmm, interesting. It's a that's a I guess that's a matter of interpretation. But 
I mean, it was a bit, it was a big deal because what happened was that it was a huge, there was a huge movement online. So Russians were like pounding their, you know, state Duma deputies on social media. They were writing to um, Belodin, the main, he's the chairman of uh, uh, the state Duma. And it was a huge, it was a huge movement, a huge grassroots movement. I saw polls online where you had 1.5 million votes where 92% of the respondents said that they thought that QR codes were unconstitutional. I mean, really, really impressive stuff. And I, multiple polls like this, and even, even the government's own polling showed that it was something like 60, 70% were, uh, you know, against this. So what happens next is a really good question. My feeling is that they realize that the, at the regional level, they realize that keeping the QR codes is basically economic, socioeconomic suicide, you know? And so whatever motivation they had for imposing them, and possibly there was, you know, some nudging at the federal level, maybe there's some weird other reasons they did it. I feel like they've realized that it's just not sustainable. That being said, is this over in Russia? No, definitely not. So. What comes next is going to be really, really interesting. Well, you, the use of the word sustainable in this context is very special, <laughs> given the right. sustainable development and how it fits into that. Exactly, right? <laughs> but so, so question, actually, so many questions. One, uh, the difference between, on the regional level, between the enforcement, the formal enforcement, and how well people comply. Because I was reading your blogs, they were even beatings from what I understand, both ways. Yep, yeah, uh, absolutely. In fact, it's, I wouldn't say it happens every day, but you'll find maybe once a week a report about either some fed up Russian literally beating, you know, some guy checking QR codes or the other way around. Someone doesn't have their QR code and the enforcement guy starts a fight. So you can tell that, you know, in general, my my take is that I think that it it's dependent on the region, maybe even at a city level. Uh, but in general, my just anecdotally and speaking to other people around the country is that Russians are super non-compliant with this, and it's not even they're not even really doing it. It's just I think it's just natural to them. They're just highly suspicious of the you know of anything that their government does or, or tells them to do and they why. realize they can't and this is the thing too that i don't think westerners understand it's like they can't afford to to go along with these stupid games you know it's like if your business in russia it's not like the state is handing out you know like in the united states they were like paying people not to work right i remember like during lockdowns and stuff there was not much really, but yeah right but i mean it's just, it's just a totally different system here. So it's like if the state tells you that you have to, you know, you're going to lose 80 or 90% of your revenue on these QR codes. Like, I'm just not like, oh, you have a QR code? Okay, go. Russians were taking QR codes from like uh, irons and washing machines, you know, and just like showing them like, all right, yep, go. You can go in. That so, is yeah. so cool. That, like, the, the, that's my people. And the, Yeah, no, totally. I, and, you know, I have, go yeah, ahead. I was just going to say, you know, if I feel like globally we're there's going to be a lot of adventures up the road for all of us. But I, I honestly do feel to a certain extent we're very lucky to be in Russia because 
the Russians are just totally awesome and they don't put, they don't put up with bullshit, you know? And so I feel like pretty, pretty good here. <laughs> cool. And the, as far as the implementation, do they ask for the printout? Do they ask for something on the phone? Uh, so meaning like how far into the digital ID did it go? Okay. So it's, um, in most cases, the way I understand it is that it's done through this uh, state services uh, website portal called like Goslugi. I guess that's the acronym or whatever. And uh, so, for example, if you get vaccinated, and I believe in other instances, they'll generate you this QR code and it's stored in a federal database online, this online portal. And then your phone, you use your phone to sort of, you know, access it. The thing, though, is that, again, you have situations where the people who are checking it are not looking very, are either just not looking at it or Russians will do, they'll have like, uh, I've read reports about this where there's these websites that will generate a QR code that sort of looks like, you know, like the official right. one. And they just say, okay, yeah, whatever, like go for it. In other places I've heard that they've asked for, you know, ID and they're really strict about it. So again, I think it's variable. But in general, I would say Russians very, very non-compliant. This goes with masks too, in a huge way. Huge mask non-compliant country. So, and I've never, I've never, this is another interesting thing. I've never been in a situation in Russia anywhere, and I've never heard of anyone where people get yelled at by other Russians for like not having a mask, you know, which I which apparently is like sort of semi- happens sometimes like uh, uh, new york hello yeah <laughs> i've never i've never heard of that ever happening here i've never heard of, even when you have like a fully masked you know someone i've never heard of anyone starting trouble that's cool no i mean i had a conversation with a friend of mine probably a year ago by now she's in moscow and she was like, yeah, of course they're enforcing masks. Our mayor opened a factory making masks. And, <laughs> yeah, and, then, yeah. and then she said, well, and of course they fine you if they catch you without a mask in the street because it goes to the city budget, of course. But I mean. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so uh, the one exception I would make is in the metro. They, they sometimes, they're very strict about it in the metro. Sometimes they'll have like these sort of gangs of policemen, you know, who'll be like, where's your mask? Like you're not wearing your mask properly. Yeah, it's a total, it's a total extortion racket. Totally. Totally. And do they actually find people on the subway? Yeah. Yeah. You can get fined the I think the like the first offend time offender fee is like five thousand rubles, which is what, like seventy bucks. But that's a lot for your average Russian. Oh yeah. So, you know. Yeah. You know, they also had the plastic, they had the gloves, the plastic gloves for a long time. Where where mandatory. Well, according to the rules, you were supposed to wear these stupid disposable gloves in the metro and also in shops, but nobody nobody ever did it. Nobody ever did it. It was just totally ignored. And then Sabyanin, the mayor of Moscow, was he just pretended that people were doing it. And then like a year later, he just gave up. I was like, okay, we don't have to wear them anymore, but nobody was wearing them. So it's <laughs> so stupid. It's so it's so stupid. All of it is so stupid. But did, did they officially uh, cancel the mask mandates it, everywhere? Just no, no, in Moscow? Well, no, no. So there's no, um, there's still, there's still the mask, the mask rules are still in place in like shops and the metro and everywhere. It's just that people don't really, people don't really follow it. 
And I think it's the same everywhere, honestly. I think in most places, in most places. Although, again, it, it really depends on where you are. So I don't want to say New everywhere. York. New York people are pretty compliant still. And I see a lot of people outside, especially college-age kids. No. No. That, that is actually criminal on the part of the propaganda propagandists because the kids, you know, kids usually want to do good, right? It's kind of like it's a good intention and if they're told that this way they're being responsible citizens and helping and saving they're just doing it and i see are so they... many college age kids walking around still still outside in masks it's it's so strange are they double masking triple masking not so much but i was yelled at at a store at some point by a double masked employee who was hysterical his i mean she was just losing it and i didn't even want to i was like you know, I'll do whatever makes you happy because she was just losing it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So this is very strange, but I, I'm, I'm glad that my compatriots are doing well. <laughs> they're doing really, they're making you, you should be proud. You should be proud. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what yeah. about, what about people's enthusiasm about the vaccines? Wow. Good question. Uh, very unenthusiastic, but so this is, again, this is what's so interesting about Russia, which is it's one of these countries where uh, it's clear, it's absolutely clear that the majority of Russians did not want the vaccine. I, I think that if they had just kept it completely voluntary, nobody would have cared, really. Um, but in June of last year, so June 2021, mid-June, Moscow became the first region in Russia where they implemented a compulsory vaccination decree where they had like you had to have it like 60% of your workforce in certain sectors had to be vaccinated. And then a bunch of other regions followed, they implemented similar things and it's quite it was quite I mean it's bad. And at this what they did it was a slow boil system where they said okay, it's just only 60% of your workforce needs to be vaccinated. Then you know in November they said 80 and um you know, there are now situations in some regions of Russia, you have to be vaccinated to go to university. So they're, they're making 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds vaccinate just to, just to get an education. On the regional level or university level? <clears throat> on the re on, at the regional level. Yeah. So it's, um, it's really too bad. And, you know, these are, it's, it's horrible coercion, like you see everywhere else in the world, and and Russians absolutely are absolutely opposed to it. And it's so it's so heartbreaking to see that what makes Russia so unique in a lot of ways, if you think about it, is that unlike in a lot of other countries, I mean, for example, take even uh, sort of at the state level in the United States, one could make the argument that okay, like in Massachusetts, for example, which apparently is like totally vaxxed out of their brains right it's like 95 percent have one shot you can make the case that you know this is what they want they want vaccination decrees and whatever i mean russia it's a country where people are super they really really were opposed to this experimental medical experiment which is what it was they didn't want the qr codes and yet the government is still imposing it on them and so it really it's heartbreaking. You know, this was a situation where Russia really could have stood out if if their leaders had taken a stand. But for whatever reason, they didn't. Meaning if their leaders weren't collaborating with Klaus Schwab <laughs> and friends, <laughs> that could be one reason. It's a secret. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. 
exactly. So, I, you know, like another thing, and I, I want, I do want to get back to to that line of thought about the collaboration. But before that, I was hearing rumors that uh, people in Russia they were uh, skeptical about the Russian vaccines, but enthusiastic about the American ones, which would make sense to me growing up there because that's an implication that everything homemade is crap and everything Western is awesome. Like, especially well, in the yeah. more educated, uh, you know, groups of people. Have you observed that? I've, I've heard, I've heard similar stories. I don't know how, how true it is, but I'm sure that at a certain level, I mean, it, but that's a, a very Russian thing to, to believe, right? Like, well, our vaccine is shit, but I'm sure that the American vaccine is better. I mean, you, you, you'll get that, when you're talking about any, anything. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it was really well thought out. Like, oh, Pfizer like has all these cool, they didn't like study the, you know, the evidence. They're just like, I bet Pfizer has, I bet the Americans have a better vaccine than we do. You know, I bet it's more like that, I think personally. Um, now that, but, that would yeah. totally make sense because growing up there, this is exactly the thinking that Russian make crappy stuff and Americans make awesome stuff. And right, so that right, applies right. to everything. And in some cases it's true, but in this case, it's kind of, you know. Everybody, everybody has crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, another thing that you wrote about that is very interesting is, uh, well, the relationship between Russian vaccine manufacturers and say businessmen involved in the affairs and say Pfizer, AstraZeneca. So please tell me your thoughts about that because this is super interesting. Yeah, well, so I think it's really funny. I mean, for example, like in uh, at least the like alternative media that I'm familiar with, I think that Sputnik V really got a free pass. You know, like everybody was really pounding Pfizer and AstraZeneca, Moderna, and rightfully so, obviously. Mm -hmm. But for some people just either left Sputnik V alone or sort of even implied that, you know, it was somehow different, you know, that it wasn't, it wasn't one of these, you know, big pharma clot shots. It was made by the Russian government. It's like safe and effective, blah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Um, what's really interesting about Sputnik V is that from the very beginning, the Russian government had a partnership with AstraZeneca which is also really weird because the guy who allegedly, the alleged main developer of Sputnik V, this really, really creepy guy named Alexander Ginsberg, who's the head of the Gamalaya Center, was like, oh yeah, like these shots are basically the same. Like there's no significant difference between Sputnik V and the AstraZeneca shot. And they, and AstraZeneca in the original plan, the original plan was to combine, have like a Sputnik V you know, first injection. And then the second injection is AstraZeneca. That was the original plan. And they spoke about it. Oh, you can read about it like in Russian media. And it's so funny. And then they did the same thing, you know, uh, they did these like joint studies with Pfizer and also with Moderna. And it's, it's just very, very difficult to believe that if Sputnik V is some sort of amazing, you know, anti-empire serum, you know, to stop the the globalist agenda, why would they 
why wouldn't they just be like Sputnik Five is the best? We don't need your stupid big pharma clot shots. We've got our own. Like we don't need to partner with you. They did the exact opposite, and right from the very beginning. And then it just gets weirder and weirder. I mean, this is like a whole other. I don't know if you even want to go here, but then when you really get into who is behind Sputnik V and their ties to the World Economic Forum, and it literally Russia in so many ways. Like if you're someone who believes that uh, Klaus Schwab and his, you know, stooges are up to horrible shenanigans. I mean, Russia should be like the prime. It's like the most obvious country where clearly the government has been infiltrated by bad actors. Like it just couldn't be more obvious, you know? So with Sputnik V specifically, I mean, you could literally just draw a straight line from this drug to Klaus Schwab or to the World Economic Forum. So for let's example, go, let's go there. Let's please okay, go, let's there. go there. This is a topic let's of interest. There. Let's go there. So um, maybe, uh, you know, so one of, interestingly enough, one of the first sort of, you know, uh, sponsors of Sputnik V is this guy named Hermann Graf, who is an ethnic German who was born in Kazakhstan and rose to become the head of Sparebank, which is Russia's largest bank, majority owned by the Russian government. And in February of 2000, so right, like, right when the whole COVID thing was sort of starting, like late February 2000, right when things were starting to get really weird, uh, Hermann Greff comes out and he says, look, I uh, just want everyone to know that Sparebank is really concerned about coronavirus and we wanna do two things. First thing we want to do is focus on developing technology, facial recognition technology that will identify people who are wearing masks. That was February, first that was February 2020. Yes. Interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not suspicious and at all. You know, I just want to put it on record. I am not suspicious. I not am not suspicious, suspicious one not suspicious. bit. I think it's perfectly normal, actually. It's totally normal. And to, to add to that, he was like, and, and to, to, in order to do this, we should consult with our Chinese friends and find out what they're doing with their, with their facial recognition systems. So that's the first thing that Sparebank wanted to do. The second thing he said is, and Sparebank is so concerned about coronavirus, we want to start funding Russian uh, scientific institutions, research institutions, to develop drugs to fight this new virus. And, drugs, not vaccines, right. drugs. He said, he said generically drugs. Uh-huh. but. We later learn from this, a process occurs. Actually, by May of that same year, so very March, so like three months later, Sparebank creates um, a subsidiary called Immunotechnology. And this company was specifically created, specifically created to help with logistics. Uh, technology transfer and uh, transportation of what would soon become Sputnik V. Interesting. Yeah. And what ended up happening is that Hermann Greff and Sparebank ended up funding, they put down seed money for Sputnik V, and uh, Sparebank became the sole distributor of Sputnik V, the first eight or nine million doses. Sparebank was in charge of distributing this drug around Russia, a bank 
a bank was responsible for for transporting this drug around Russia. And Hermann Graf, who's like one of the most important and powerful people in Russia, claims that he got he was injected with Sputnik V in April 2020, which means that he was one of the first people in the world to allegedly get this drug. Phase wait, one. Wait, wait, trial, wait, wait. When did like Sputnik V came out when? In it was approved, officially approved in August 2020. And the phase one trials didn't start until June 19th or something. So we're talking about several months before it even started, like it expedited phase one trials. Hermann Graf says that he got the shot months. He before. must be immortal now. He must be immortal, or he's, you know, he's probably lying. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what's going on here, Tessa. <laughs> and, and you know it's just there's even more to this i'm just sort of blanking but it's so weird how closely connected spare bonk is to this shot and so why should this concern us hermann greff is a board of trustees member of the world economic forum he's like this with schwab they're like best friends forever and this guy this is the thing about spare bonk is that in september 2020. So you have Sputnik V is approved in August, September, next month. Uh, Spare Bank announces that it's no longer a bank. It's not a bank anymore. It's an ecosystem of services. So they have like spare AI, spare food, spare delivery, spare sound. I'm not even making this up. The it's Uber, like a, the Uber of Russian everything. It's and literally. Wow, wow, wow. I mean, I actually didn't show. When did it happen? When did they become the hub September, of everything? September 2020. Holy. So right when all this, right when all this, when, you know, okay, it was by that point, it's true that lockdowns had ended in Russia because lo the lockdowns didn't last very long in Russia. But this was still like peak COVID craze when you had all these things, everything going online, you know, education, you know, all these businesses getting totally wrecked and here comes spare bunk with it's you know ecosystem of services and you know what they're also involved in tessa is that spare bug for some reason is really interested in biometric identification systems and they've already started using bio installing biometric systems in schools in moscow and they're they're turning they're they're targeting the children first. They're they're basically making biometric ID systems for Russia's youngest generations. Yikes! Yeah, it's really bad. It's really in, really and bad. And so, what is the practical application? What are the kids required to do in school in terms of biometric IDs? Well, to, to enter, it's a security system, right? In order to in order to enter and exit and. On social media, you have all these parents like writing these messages being like, nobody told me that they were going to install this biometric system. We weren't informed. And now my kid has to like give his, you know, handprint in order to get into school. Yikes. Yeah, it's really, it's really spooky. It's really, really spooky. And so spare is spare, not spare bunk, because now it's more than just a bank, is really invested in rolling out these biometric systems. And one of the reasons why I feel like almost QR codes don't even matter is because isn't really the goal here just to make everything like 
your eyeball becomes your ID, you know, it's like, we don't, I don't, we don't need a barcode. We, we have your, you know, your handprint, right? So it's really, it's really, really not good. And, oh. you know, all, yeah, all this stuff you hear about and read about, about the fourth industrialization and all of these grand plans, like for, you know, um, smart cities and, uh, you know, the internet of things and all this, it applies so heavily to Russia in such an obvious way. And they're really pushing it. You know, that was my feeling too. Well, I mean, like that is my feeling is that right now here they're talking, oh, they're going back uh, on mandate. So we, we, won, we won. I don't think we won anything. I mean, like it's, yeah. it's great that they're rolling back a little bit, but I think they've pushed the people very far and the psychology is damaged as in people have accepted that they can be treated like shit. And then yep. the next thing, they will roll up the same thing, but wrapped in something sweet. Oh, that's for your health. That's for your security. That's a system that monitors your blood pressure. Oh, yeah, well, whatever. So they are going to roll out the same thing they wanted to roll out, but, you know, in some other wrapper. Or they'll come up with a new virus or whatever. But it's almost, it's meaningless that they're, like, it's pleasant that they're going back on it, but it's not going to last, probably. I totally agree. I totally agree. So, yeah, it's wild. It's wild. And, and how, I mean, I mean like, what are, so, so they're, they're telling the parents that their children have to use the biometric IDs. What is the action? Are, are parents just silently, like, indignant or they're complaining to each other? Or is there some kind of an activism thing going on? What, what's happening? How, how do people react? That's a good question. I've only seen there's, you know, parent groups on Contactia, which is, you know, Russian mm -hmm. Facebook. I don't know what's being done. I feel like it's sort of this, there's this feeling that nothing can be done. Moscow has said that it wants to basically have these biometric systems. I don't know in all of the schools, but they said their plan is to really get this rollout going and have results by the end of this year. So they're really pushing this in Moscow. It's crazy. And it just sort of, it just sort of happened overnight, you know. But how, so was it, I don't know, the, the Putin said we're rolling out those IDs. I mean, like, how did it just all of a sudden start happening? Or did just, did it happen on the local school level? Okay, so this is really interesting, actually. I shouldn't have said they just happened overnight. They've had plans to do this for many, many years, but I think it really didn't have a really good reason to do it. So my understanding is that the Ministry of Education, so at the federal level, I believe in 2018 or 19, we're like, we want all of our schools to have biometric security systems by, I think, 2024, I want to say. Uh, and so, of course, one of the, uh, you know, pitches, I guess, that they're, that they're telling people is these biometric systems are also, they also have these, you know, uh, you know, measure if you have a, a fever or a temperature, right? So it's a health, it's a health, it's protecting the health of your children. You know, it's very, it's outrageous. It's, it's really sad how they've used this biosecurity. And I really think that they're specifically targeting children because they're the ones that you can mold, right? And a lot of uh, adults know that this is bullshit. But you can you can target children much easier. 
I'm afraid you're right, and I really don't like it. Yeah. I, this, this is so, this is such crap. Yeah, it's really, really sad. It's really, really sad. And eventually it'll fall apart because it's just so natural and so horrendous that it, I, I don't think it will last forever, but there could be a period of time that is not pleasant. So, ay, 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 ay. So do you think, is that your take that you think that they'll just overextend and they'll just, it'll all collapse? That's well, I think that eventually, I don't know when, because the technology, on the one hand, the technology is pretty advanced. Yeah. On the other hand, there's also this element of like Soviet what the fuck, as in like it doesn't really work and people pretend that it works, but it doesn't really work. And then at some point, people just can't lie anymore because it just falls apart. So the Soviet Union, which was a scam in many ways, although it was extremely important emotionally to, you know, two generations of people, like it did fall apart. But it came at a cost and it came with generational yeah. trauma and all those things. And then, of course, they didn't have that technology at the time. They had the same ambition, but they did not have the technology. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, I, I don't know. Sometimes when you look at targeted ads and you're like, this is bullshit. I mean, the technology is not that great. They're flattering themselves. Yeah. Yeah. But they're definitely trying. And the psychological change where they train kids specifically to accept it as if like privacy is a luxury. Oh, you're so selfish if you want to have privacy because your privacy can kill a grandma. Mm. I mean, they really thought through the psychological manipulation techniques and kids yep. might be going for that, but I can just see today's kids as kind of the generation of my grandparents in Russia, because that's the generation that was subjected to massive propaganda. And then they pretty much lived with that worldview. And when they were really old, it was discovered, quote unquote, that it was all bullshit. And they were like, oh, by the way, that was all a lie. Goodbye. So, and they were left alone with their, you know, what they lived their lives for. That was really cool. And I lived through that. I lived to, you know, witness that. And that really impressed me as a kid because, you know, even though it was bullshit, but they fought the war for that. They really, they really gave a lot of energy, a lot of soul to that. And then they were told, by the way, that was all not true. So nobody cares anymore. And haha, funny. So probably the same thing is going to happen to these kids if they go for that. So looking into the future, I feel really bad for them. Because even if they believe that in their prime, the chances when they're really old, they might discover that none of it was true and that they were had. And mm -hmm. so I'm really trying to put something into this world to smooth it out and make it kind and we'll see what happens. But, wow, I mean, uh, it, is so, it is so fascinating that even in Russia, they're putting, pushing the biometric. It's really heartbreaking. Yep. Yep. But are they like, pro, like, let me paraphrase it. So do people realize what it's about, like on a massive scale, that it's a grand reform and it's a push that has nothing to do with health or what is the public sentiment about it? It's a good question. Mm, my feeling just speaking with Russians and just anecdotally would be, I don't know if they've really sort of pieced everything together 
or even thought too deeply about it. They're just naturally suspicious, you know, and they're just they're just naturally suspicious of anything that their government tells them to do. And uh, so it just doesn't have the kind of, you know, there's not the same. I feel like uh, you have the in the United States and in Europe, I feel like you really do have this problem, as cliche as it sounds, of this problem of virtue signaling, right? Like, I want to show that I'm a good person, and so I'm going to follow the rules right. and, and be obedient and show people that, you know, I'm, I'm doing my part. And that just, that mindset just doesn't really exist in the same way in Russia, you know? People are so jaded from the Soviet Union. So like, I'm not doing like, I'm not doing what you tell me to do. That doesn't show that I'm a good person, you know? <laughs> no, that makes sense. Yeah, who would be a good person by following the government? Hello? Exa- no, exactly. And people think like, you know, you have to realize in Russia, it's so funny, like reading, for example, reading about Russia, no matter where you read about Russia, whatever your sources, and living here. Because people get so passionate about like Russian politics and you know, is Putin like this great savior of civilization or this evil demon? And, you know, what is the Russian, like the grand philosophical vision of, of the Russian, you know, nation and blah, blah, blah. Really, like for most Russians, it's just like, I do not trust authority. I'm going to do my best to like bypass it in any possible way. I don't care what they say. Does it interest me? I want nothing to do with it. You know, like this is really the reality, the day-to-day reality for most Russians. And there's very, very low expectations here for the government. They just expect nothing. They expect nothing. <laughs> well, so, except being conned. I mean, that's my people. Right, right, right. They're always <laughs> looking out for a trick. They're like, they're going to trick us, aren't they? This is another trick. Yeah, yeah. Very prudent, very wise. Yeah, yeah no, really, for real. There's a lot of street smarts here, for sure. So. Well, that is good to know. Uh, but yeah, I'm really saddened by the biometric IDs in schools. I didn't, I actually didn't pay that much attention to that. And that's, that's very sad. It's really, I wrote, I wrote a piece about it. I'll send it to you. You can check it out. But you know, it's, it's really, it's also, it's double depressing because it's not just spare bonk, but they're one of the main drivers, like a bank, like a fucking bank is tagging children, like taking their palm print or whatever. And, turning them into, you know, you know, a phrase I often use just to drive the point home is I, I consider the QR codes and all this stuff, but just basically cattle tagging, you know, and it's so sad. It's so sad to see children get targeted by the, these kind of policies. It just breaks your heart. So now for real. And I like the cattle tag analogy. I know, I know you use it a lot and that's very appropriate. Yeah. yeah. Now, Next question, the convoys, because I ah. saw you posted something about it. How, how developed is it? What's going on there with the convoys in Russia? You know, I, I, didn't, I should take another look. It's been a few days. My feeling is that it's not super developed, but this group, it's not a union. It's sort of like a, um, like a guild, I guess, like this um, association of, what is, what is their name? Association of... Russian carriers. I don't even remember their official name. Anyway, they were formed originally. I don't think it's a very old group, but they were formed originally to protest. Uh, Russia has sort of implemented these federal toll, um, federal toll system, 
And it's been very controversial for people, truckers, because and trucking companies, because it just raises the price of transporting goods mm -hmm. across Russia. And the problem, according to them, they complain that the tolls are too high. It's actually hurting, you know, it's, it's contributing to inflation, which is already a problem in Russia, just like everywhere else. Uh, you know, it's basically making the whole transportation system unprofitable and unsustainable. And there's also accusations that there's there's a lot of corruption and allegedly, you know, people tied. No, I know. Whoa, whoa, whoa! I know. Big accusation coming in Russia. So, so this group was originally founded to protest this toll system. Um, so they have they have some experience sort of going after these uh, government policies. But it's so interesting that now they've stepped up and they. I believe in the beginning of February, they issued this statement on their website saying we support the Canadian trucking convoy. And they also basically said we are going to start looking into our own Russian version of this. And so they've issued a few statements since then sort of laying out their vision. And what's really interesting, a big difference between these guys and the Canadian truckers is that um, these this Russian group part of their sort of manifesto, whatever you want to call it. So it's total, you know, get rid of all QR codes, all tattle, cattle tagging goes, compulsory vaccination out the window, all COVID measures, but also they, were de they demand political reform in Russia. And the Canadian truckers have made a point of saying this is not about asking for a radical change in the Canadian government. We just want to get rid of these COVID policies. So it's an interesting juxtaposition here. Now, how serious are these guys? I can't say. Apparently, they are sort of gathering a list of truckers who are interested. They claim that it could be happening in the next few weeks. I guess we'll see, you know, but it's interesting. Oh, definitely. Well, the Canadians also asked for the resignation of Trudeau. Although, I mean, like, it, they really? The, yeah, I mean, like, the, it, it, it has been said. Okay. In, in, okay. in, in different contexts. That, so right. you, it could be presented maybe as individual desire, but that has right, been uttered. Right, right. But it is it is it is completely fascinating. Wow! It really and is. so, and say if you are in Moscow in Saint Petersburg, let's take it on the everyday level. You want to go to a restaurant today. Does it involve any cattle tagging, or is it pretty much um, okay? So it's very interesting, you know. Um, Moscow is quite unique in this sense because what happened with Moscow is that Moscow was the first region slash city in Russia to introduce the cattle tag. That was in um, late June. And what happened was over a period of about three weeks, less than three weeks, two and a half weeks, about 200 restaurants and bars went out of business. They just, nobody came to their restaurants and they small businesses were massacred in Moscow. And it was basically this boycott, you know, like an unofficial boycott of this whole system. And Sobyanin, our terrific mayor, we should talk about Sobyanin, by the way, he's a total nutcase, but uh, he was forced to drop the cattle tags. Now, there's two reasons for this, I think, in my opinion. One of them was because he was destroying Moscow's economy, but also uh, there were Duma, state Duma elections coming up in September. And they were, I think they were legitimately worried that if they had kept the cattle tags in Moscow, that it would have been like 
full on 1917 political revolution, you know, like people dragging artillery through the streets sort of thing. I think that it could have gotten really, really bad. So um, Moscow does not have, it has QR codes for museums and for like large venues, like concerts. So you can go anywhere in Moscow basically without a cattle tag. But in St. Petersburg, it's a lot different. They are required. That being said, my understanding is that a lot of restaurants are bypassing this rule, like we mentioned earlier. So, and also, apparently, reportedly, we'll see in the next week or so, apparently, they're also going to drop this cattle tag requirement for restaurants and shops and so forth, which, again, I think would be a great testament to, you know, to Russians, because I think this the reason they're doing this is not is because Russians are basically boycotting this stupid system and bypassing it. And so it's, what's the point at this point, you know? So. Well, good. Sounds like it's a mix. Oh, and you know what question uh, I, I forgot to ask you when we were talking about the convoy. So what is the media coverage? Because from what I checked, it was not a whole lot. Uh, yeah, Russian yeah. media coverage about the Canadian truckers. About the Canadian truckers. Yeah, I haven't seen, you don't see a lot of it. Maybe they're afraid to talk about it in Russian media. They don't want to give people any, you know, not ideas. ideas. Yeah. <laughs> don't start thinking about anything. You know? <laughs> no, that, that's the same impression that I got. Because yeah. it's just like, you know, we don't talk about it. It's not happening. You know, what truckers? Look, puppy. So, <laughs> yep. Yep. I, get, I have the same impression. I have the same impression. And so you want to talk about Sabanian. So the reason why I want to talk about Sibyanin and, and for the for the audience, that's that's the mayor of Moscow. So right, that is Sibyanin, completely yeah. not corrupt mayor of Moscow. Definitely not corrupt. He's like a Boy Scout. He's right. A, he's a he's a pioneer. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Sibyanin is such a character, and by that's like the nicest way you could possibly put it. So Sibyanin is this really sort of, he's like, um, he's like a Klaus Schwab kind of guy. He's like a cartoon villain, you know, like seriously from a comic book. And what makes Sibyanin so special is that he's not just your average technocrat. This guy is just, he's just always thinking of new things to scare you with and freak people out. So he rolled, he rolled out, he has this plan called Moscow 2030. Oh, what an interesting, what an interesting date to choose. Oh. Yeah, right. So, it's you know, I just want to again say I'm not suspicious. That's perfectly normal. There's nothing suspicious here. We're just talking about Sibyanin, domestic policy. <laughs> <It's> totally <laughs> normal. He has this whole website. You could go and look at it. And so part of this vision for, you know, this Moscow smart city by 2030 is that he wants people to have implantable devices that calculate how much health insurance you have to pay. Send me the website because I, I will. Oh, I miss this treasure. I will. I will. And you know what's also really crazy is that this is not just in Moscow. In fact, um, uh, Mishustin, the Russian prime minister, recently came out and said part of our vision for, you know, uh, healthcare reform in Russia is that we want to use um, devices to, uh, to monitor people remotely for their health. Right. So you like you wear some device or whatever, maybe you implant it. I don't know. And so that's how they're going to reform Russian healthcare. 
these, these you know, wearable... it seems to me that somehow that my old homeland is more advanced with Klaus Schwab agenda than my current homeland. At yeah, least they're more out in the open. I mean, like here it is talked about, right? But not so obviously. This is what I've been trying to tell people: is that Russia is like it's like the cookie cutter. Like, if you really wanted to see what the vision of the future might be, like just read what the Russian government is saying and what they're trying to do. I'm not saying that it's happened yet. Like it's not totally, you don't walk outside and be like, oh my God, the fourth industrial revolution has occurred. But like, they're really open about it. They're very, very open. Which is are, they present, I, are they presenting it as some kind of Western advancement? Because this is the angle that could fly over there. Like, you know, high technology, yeah. like high tech America, but only the, the better American than America is with all the smart cities and all the technologies and flying cars. And OK, so it's, this is not exactly what you're suggesting, but it's a funny sort of anecdote about sort of the connect between Russia's policy and the West is so um, there's a very, very infamous oligarch named Anatoly Chubias in Russia. He's like one of the most hated men in Russia who goes back to the Yeltsin years. He was like Yeltsin's chief of staff and he's been stealing money from Russia for 30 years. Like he's a professional at it. And uh, for from I believe in starting in 2008, he was appointed the CEO of a state a state owned company called Rus Nano which was supposed to develop these like nanotechnologies, including vaccines, like nano vaccine tech or whatever. And so, by the way, Chubias, first thing he did was partner up with Alexander Ginsburg, the father of Sputnik V. There's a whole story to that, but that's not what I want to talk about. So Chubias in 2000, I want to say 2011, gives this speech at one of his annual tech nanotech conferences where he's like uh all the sci all the important western scientists are saying that you know there's seven billion people in the world and it's gonna have to drop to like 1.5 billion that's what they're predicting it sounds crazy it sounds terrible but that's what the experts say that we're gonna there's gonna be this huge population drop and it's like inconceivable but that's what they say and he just he said like, 2011 this was 2011 yeah 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 He's if like, you have a seems, link, I want it. It's, it's fascinating. It I'll send it to you. It's fascinating. It sounds like something Bill Gates would say, right? Or something. <laughs> and so here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, though. So Chubias loves Bill Gates. He, like, recently on his Facebook wall wrote this thing, like, these are the best books I read in 2021. And, like, the third or, like, the fifth on the list, the fifth one was, like, Bill Gates's like, why you should you know, do whatever you're told to do to fight climate change, you know, like one of these stupid <laughs> Bill Gates books. And Shabazz is like, this was like my favorite book. It was so cool. <laughs> Bill Gates is such a serious guy. He really cares about the climate, you know, all this stuff. And the reason why this is important is because guess what? After Chubias drove, he literally almost bankrupted Rusnano. It was like a total scam. I mean, this guy, <laughs> this guy, I'm not making this up. I'm not exaggerating. He's a lifelong scammer. Terrible man. After he after he left Rusnano, Vladimir Putin appointed him uh, Russia's like 
special representative to the president for uh for sustainability for development of like sustainability development that's you so, know what i want to say it's fitting because the sustainable fitting. agenda is you know <laughs> right so now he has a sustainability scam going on and so he's like he's putin's point man on climate change <laughs> and he meets, <laughs> and he meets with all these you know he meets with like the un and all these other countries and he reads bill gates this is like russia's climate change guy this and it's because knowing the culture like how much russians don't care about all those slogans given the soviet history like right. anybody seriously talking about anything like any big slogan without right. people laughing loudly they're just like culturally impossible okay i i totally agree like i it's almost inconceivable to believe that russians would be like oh yeah i should like make my life miserable for climate change i don't see that happening but i don't think it matters i feel like they're just going to be like we're doing the climate change things and now we have, we're going to tax you and we're going to steal more of your money and you can't do anything about it it's just like a new scam you know it's just a new scam and they don't care mm are you are you familiar with mmm from the that was a grand scam uh in the 90s where this guy came up with like invest and huge return investment and everybody brought money there and then naturally money just went poof and right. that was a very very known scam called mmm so there were advertisements everywhere like commercials everywhere and then it just went into well sorry i don't know where your money went sorry <laughs> that's exactly what it's going to be like that's that's my impression they don't care whether there will be even any policies enforced probably they'll just get like some budget you know like this is the budget money for fighting climate change and then it just goes straight into chibai's pocket and everyone's happy you know <laughs> so it's oh, russia oh you know? god <laughs> yeah yeah well at least we can laugh about it what else do we have you know what else do we have left I mean this is the thing of course it's I mean some days I wake up and I'm in a really like I feel really despondent it's true like some sometimes I really I really weep for the future but it's almost in a way it's almost liberating right because if you think it's really that bad and I do think it's really bad it's in some ways that's just like you got to yolo like you only live once like let's just let's just try to have fun with it and like just mess up things as much as possible you know like just be the biggest pain in the ass possible at this point And these people <laughs> people like Sabianin is such a they're just such jokes. They're just such sad sad people. And they're so pathetic and they don't they don't deserve your fear, you know? They don't deserve to be feared. We should be making fun of these idiots, you know? We should just be actively mocking these morons. And you know, I don't know if it will lead to anything, but it's better than being afraid, right? Cuz fear is when oh, you sure. get manipulated. When you're fear, that's when they can twist you and turn you, make you do stupid stuff. But when you're in a jolly mood and just, you know, having a laugh, what what's what's the worst that can happen, you know? Well, I think that's a healthy peasant attitude, like a feudal peasant attitude because you know that the masters are assholes, but right. they also may be stupid. So right. <laughs> But you know, like that attitude, the absurdity that I remember from, you know, the time especially of the collapse of the Soviet Union when nobody was keeping Evgenie anymore, it was just absurd and everybody was stealing whatever they could. I recognize it here 
Because mm. I'm a, an example from from Moscow. Uh, some years ago, I went I went back, and I remember I was at a restaurant somewhere in the middle of the night downtown Moscow. So it was, and then all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, the employees of the restaurant decided to take a table and start sawing it in half. So they took a saw and started just destructing this table while the restaurant was technically still open. I was there eating or trying to eat. And there was no rhyme or reason to it whatsoever. They never explained why, and they were just doing it. And I was like, okay, that's my homeland. Yeah, <laughs> so, welcome, welcome to Russia. So, yeah, I mean, like that attitude is very much here. It's like you have to do it. Why? Because you have to, because we say so. And it's spreading. And hopefully the same inglorious ending where it just falls apart and then you know, people find each other. You know, that's the one thing that uh, has kept me going is that as painful and distressing as everything's been, it's been wonderful to meet people who see through the bullshit and you know i think that my personal like relationships with people have actually like the ones that really count have really grown a lot stronger and i'm get to meet cool people like tessa so you know it's like <laughs> oh thank you i mean like same here the friendships that yeah. formed here in the past couple of years are like russian quality i mean like they're solid like they're right. Well, that's the thing that Russians are famous for is that they they have this, uh, you know, the stereotype is that they're they seemingly cold at first, you know, appearance, but they'll be like they're like your best friends for life, like totally loyal. So and that's sort of the feeling I get more and more with people that, you know, I spend time with and communicate with is like we realize that things are in deep shit and we got to be there for each other, you know, so. <laughs> Well, that, that, is there anything else that you want to say before we conclude? And I have to say, that's an awesome conversation. I'm so, I'm so happy that we're talking. So well, thank you so much for having me on. It's, honestly, it was, uh, it's an honor. You know, your, your post on uh, Great Reset for, for Dummies, right, was, is like a classic. When I, told, when I told my friends that I was going to talk with Tessa, one of them was like, oh, my gosh, she like wrote the best Substack Great Reset post <laughs> in history. <laughs> thank you. I'm very, I'm very flattered and honored that somebody said that tell them i love them whoever they are i will, I will. he'll be he'll be excited about that i'm sure <laughs> no it, it's an honor for me to talk to you because your writing your coverage of russia covid is just stunning it's the best uh it's bigly uh, it's bigly <laughs> bigly wow thank you that's a that's a big compliment <laughs> so uh where can people find you if they want to find you and by the way i highly recommend that everybody follows your Substack because it's awesome. So where can people find you? Thank you. So my Substack is edwardslavsquat.substack.com. Uh, if you want, you can follow me on Twitter, although I'm not really that active on social media. Uh, just Riley Wagaman can find me on Twitter. And um, yeah, that's pretty much it right now. So cool. Thank you. Yeah. Well, so let's laugh at scammers. Let's la laugh at them together. They deserve it. <laughs> they're horrible they're horrible <laughs> they're the worst. I'm glad that my compatriots find it in themselves to, to laugh at them more than here so oh yeah oh yeah we're laughing well, don't worry we're doing like double laughing for you guys <laughs> cool well thank you Riley it was a great pleasure to talk to you and let's talk again absolutely thanks so much okay <laughs> thank you bye bye